Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday to you all. It's so exciting that you've decided to take the time to join us for daily devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. And if you're joining us for the first time, if we haven't met yet, I'm Dan. I'm a teaching pastor here at Redeeming Life. And uh, along with Jesse El Padre Eisenhower, the lead pastor of this church plant, we're leading you through this uh, Redeeming Life reading plan that's been leading us through the entire New Testament over the course of the year. And now it was, we've just gotten into, into November and we're jumping right back into, uh, or journey through the epistles rather, uh, and, and continuing to take these steps through this wonderful, glorious, and profound book of Hebrews. Though we do not know uh, who was the author of Hebrews, we know that he knows his old, he or she uh, uh, old, knows the Old Testament extremely well and is, is going at length just demonstrating how, in what ways, and in such dynamic fashion, demonstrating for you and for me the superiority of Christ. And that if he is, if Christ is superior in all of these fashions, superior to the angels, superior to Moses, a superior priesthood, a superior temple, in all of these ways that Jesus is superior, that, um, that, that we don't just merely um, look to him, um, in, in adoration or worship, but to, to follow him through, through, through faith and obedience, um, as we're going to get to. And so, uh, but with all of this in mind, we're going to be, uh, in actually a very short passage today. This is going to be Hebrews chapter seven, verses one through 10, Hebrews chapter seven, verses one through 10. So a very short passage, but immensely deep. And what I think is going to make the best use of our time is to uh, not just see where we are in the scheme of things as far as where the author of Hebrews has brought us along, but to also um, give us a sense about what, what <laughs> there's a literary device that, that the author of Hebrews is using that I think is useful for us to be able to get the sense of what it is that he's saying, not only in this passage, but also in the passage that's following tomorrow. So, uh, so what you're going to find here today is, um, is useful, not just for understanding what this passage means, but also in anticipation of, of the direction that, that you're going to teach or we're going to, to touch upon tomorrow with Pastor Jesse. So with this in mind, uh, one of the things that I want to to mention, or at least try to explain, I want to try and take something that is immensely complicated, but to try and simplify it in accessible terms as much as I can. I'm going to do my very best today with that, and so I want you to try and follow along with me as best as you can. So are we all good? You guys nodding your heads? Awesome. This is great. Okay. So uh, one of the common literary features that you'll actually find all throughout the New Testament um, is one that's called, in technical, technical terms, it's called a typology. You might be asking, what on earth is a typology? A typology is when there's a certain person, or say like two different people, but when you see them operating in the same functions or similar functions, you realize that one figure is a certain type that foreshadows somebody who's coming later. 
So when you, uh, and here's one example. So when Jesus in the gospels is tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, and you're seeing these certain features where Jesus, he's led out into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days. And you might be thinking, and he's, he's tempted. Uh, uh, and you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. Um, I remember my Old Testament. There was somebody else who was also led into the wilderness. And for another uh, period of, uh, of 40, I'm trying to remember, and they also experienced temptation and thinking, oh, wait a minute, Israel. Uh, 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 so, so there's certain particular features between Jesus and Israel that are strikingly similar so that Jesus, as he's being led into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil, and he's there for 40 days, that he's operating or functioning as a type of Israel. And which is particularly significant because um, in the way in which, uh, though Israel had failed in the way that it was tempted for 40 years, um, uh, wandering through the wilderness, Jesus was triumphant. He succeeded where Israel failed. So that when you're looking at what Jesus is doing, in the wilderness, 40 days, being tempted by the devil, in some measure or another, he is accomplishing the purposes of God that God intended to bring to completion through somebody like Israel, like the nation of Israel. So that uh, by comparing those two and their functioning in, in, in such similar and striking uh, uh, capacity, you realize that, that, that Jesus is operating as a type of Israel. And now, there are uh, numerous typologies in the Old Testament, or rather in the New Testament, the ways in which, um, as you see them functioning different types uh, in the Old Testament, that these sort of work as a foreshadowing or an anticipation of something that's going to come later, and that's usually fulfilled through Jesus. And, uh, and so... Uh, Jesus functions in typologies like Moses typologies, uh, typologies of King David, typologies of kings, the kings of Josiah or uh, um, or Hezekiah. Um, the the our business here isn't to expand on on all of these typologies at length, but uh, what you'll find here in um, in in the book of Hebrews is how he employs a typology that's intended to demonstrate how Christ is superior in his function as a priest. Did you hear me there? That the way in which the author of Hebrews wants to show you and me how it is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is not merely a priest, but indeed functions as a priest that is clearly superior to any other priesthood that has ever come before him, that he needs to, uh, to use Mel this, this, this person, this figure, this enigmatic figure in the Old Testament, uh, who we read about in Genesis chapter 14, uh, is, uh, is a, that he's using Melchizedek as uh, the uh, 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 high priest before God as a typology for us to be able to understand 
who Jesus is and how he is clearly superior to any other priesthood that would have gone before him. So, as we've already seen in anticipation throughout Hebrews, like say in Hebrews uh, chapter 5 verses 6 and 10, uh, or Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20, uh, we can already see how the author of Hebrews is, is sort of priming the pump and preparing us to be able to, to see how Jesus functions as a priest um, in the order of Melchizedek. And the real key, uh, excuse me, the real key verse for interpreting or understanding all of chapter 7 actually jumps back not so much to uh, Genesis chapter 14, but namely Genesis, or excuse me, uh, Psalm 110 verse 4, which uh, speaks about how there's an anticipation about a never-ending priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, so that there is this tiny nugget within the Psalms that sort of baits the listener to having uh, an expectation or anticipation that there's going to be a priesthood that's going to come, some real mediator between God and men, uh, that's going to be in an order that's going to last forever. Uh, because the, the, the way in which that you could, uh, in theory, only two ways in which that you could make a priesthood that's going to last forever, uh, one is in which if um, through a series of an unending genealogical sequence. So, um, father priest has a son, son becomes priest. That uh, priest has a son, and that son, after he dies, becomes priest, and so on and so on and so on. And if that keeps going, then you have a priesthood that lasts forever. Or the other way, as it would be, is if the priest never actually died. If he lived forever, and if he can live forever, then he is serving in this enduring priesthood forever and ever and ever, because as long as he is a priest and he never dies, he can fulfill that role for, the, for, for eternity. And that's one of the ways or in which uh, the, the author of Hebrews wants us to grasp a, a unique feature, how Jesus fulfills this anticipated promise that that begins in Genesis chapter 14, but then it's sort of uh, um, is weighted and, and gives us a weight of expectation for a priest who's going to, to serve forever. And so uh, a few other things, and then we're going to get to the passage. Um, there's particular ways in which, so if we're trying to say, here's Jesus, and he's a type of Melchizedek, in what other ways might we think of him as uh, a type of Melchizedek? Well, in the first place, Jesus is fulfilling uh, messianic uh, expectations, um, chiefly in uh, that if he's a type of Melchizedek, uh, he's, uh, he's a type in at least two particular ways, one of them being where Melchizedek, uh, what it, when it's translated, means king of righteousness. Melech in the Hebrew is king. Uh, tzedek uh, is righteousness. So Melchizedek uh, put together king of righteousness. So his name itself means king of righteousness. But that this Melchizedek was also king of Salem, which in late Jewish tradition is treated as a synonym for Jerusalem. Uh, and so, but um, as being uh, king of Salem, 
um, which should be Melik Shalom, uh, basically means King of Peace. Uh, and how Jesus, by being a type of, of Melchizedek, uh, he's uh, uh, both a King of Righteousness and a King of Peace. Uh, so that's one way in which Jesus is uh, a type of Melchizedek. Um, another one that's very interesting is how that he's going to point out in a passage like this is that um, he is, uh, which bespeaks to Jesus's uh, pre-existence um, in that even though you could say that uh, Jesus' mother was Mary, uh, but that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit so that what the, so Jesus being born um, is indeed a a totally new creation and not one that's predicated on genealogies uh, traced all the way back to the beginning of humankind. Uh, Jesus doesn't have that. In that sense, he is without father or mother. He doesn't have a genealogy. He doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. Um, in that sense, Jesus is indeed eternal. And in that sense, he is a type of Melchizedek. Because, as what we'll know, uh, if you reading back in uh, Genesis chapter 14, uh, Melchizedek just appears out of nowhere. Um, we don't hear where it is that he comes from. We don't hear about when he was born. We don't hear about when he's, when he's dead. But he just shows up in Genesis chapter 14. So that as far as na the narrative is concerned, he's just, he doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. And the author of Hebrews looks at that and says, boom. Um, that's the type of priest the way in th th that that Jesus um, uh, fulfills, or rather, is a more complete type of Melchizedek, because um, not just in a literary sense, but in a literal sense, that Jesus does not have a beginning or an end, uh, and that he's he is in that sense a son of God. Um, but that uh, and the, the the clearest point, or the most pressing point, that Jesus. Uh, the, the way in which um, Jesus is a type of Melchizedek is that the, his ministry as a priest, his function as a priest, is one that has no end. And uh, let's uh, remember one of the essential functions at this point uh, of what a priest is. Uh, maybe you've heard me say this before, I can say it again. As an oversimplification, it's general terms, um, but it's enough to be able to get our grasp about what a priest is. Uh, that if if a prophet is God's representative before the people, a priest is the people's representative before God. So that if I need to have a connection with God, and I don't have a direct connection with with God. I need some kind of go-between. I need a mediator. I need somebody who is going to represent God on my behalf. I need a priest. And what's interesting is that, functionally speaking, that's the way in which I think a lot of us think about as, think, think the way in which we think about priests is somebody who is holy, who has this intimate connection with God that if I can get connection to the priest, it's that priest who's going to mediate my connection to the living God. And so, and what's also 
interesting, one of the things that we know about uh, priests, uh, especially if we're reading through the Old Testament, is that even if somebody is functioning in the office of a, of a priest, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that priest is actually doing his job and that the priest can falter. And then if the priest falters, if his genealogy is cut off, my hope for connecting with God is cut short. That, that his disconnection with God means my disconnection with God if I don't have a go-between. And this is why understanding Jesus, not merely as a priest or as a mediator, but one whose priesthood, whose function as a mediator between you and I and the living God is one that doesn't have an end. And that means that his ministry as a priesthood is one that is not going to fail. And that gives me hope. That gives me encouragement. That, uh, in a way, means that if I need to have a living relationship with, with the living God, I need Christ more than anything else. He is the one who is capable of doing what no other priest could ever do. And that's in Christ, in Christ supremely, because he is a type of Melchizedek that we have hope that, that, that our connection with God, um, our intimacy with God, the, the person who's going to make things right between us and God is one who we can trust because his priesthood, it lasts forever. So with this in mind, let's, um, and also with this in mind, in anticipation of tomorrow's passage, so don't forget that, uh, let's read through Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And beginning in verse 1, it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires that descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descendants from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. In short, the, the, you can tell that the priesthood of Levi is one that is of utmost importance because they're the ones who are the recipients of payments of tithe to keep the priesthood going. But can you imagine, well, if, if, if the Levites 
and Abraham as their forefather receive a tenth, who do they pay a tithe to? That if the person who pays the tithe, or the person who receives it, excuse me, if the person who receives a tithe actually has to pay tithe to someone else, that means that their office or their importance must be even more important if they're a person who, the person who receives a tithe has to pay the tithe to somebody else. And in that way, uh, the author of Hebrews is demonstrating how it is that, that for as important as the Levitical priesthood ever was, it's still subordinate to this priesthood that, um, that, that Melchizedek serves in um, because even Abraham gave him a tenth, uh, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And through this, Abraham was blessed by God because of his tithe towards Melchizedek. And all of this just to demonstrate, to make it clear in their minds to say, oh my goodness, this, th- th- these Levites who were appointed by God to function as priests, even still, there remains a greater priesthood that is above and beyond something that, that is, is going to perish. That even in somebody like Melchizedek is a foretaste of somebody who's going to serve as a priest who's going to do it forever and who's not going to fail. Uh, and all of this is made manifest through a typology, um, through somebody like Jesus, who serves as a type of Melchizedek, uh, but one who is the promised fulfillment for the expectations that we've been waiting for all along. That is reason for encouragement, reason for real hope, indeed a living hope in a living God who lives forever and mediates on our behalf. So thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions. Do please remember all of this in anticipation of tomorrow's uh, 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 devotional. But uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out our podcasts uh, and also support us financially uh, for this church planning ministry here in Whitley County as we're continuing to follow through the steps that God has outlined for us so that we're growing mature disciples and seeing uh, God's hand at work um, in, in, in this community. And so God bless you. Take care. And I look forward to seeing you next time.